Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Corbett Report. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and you're tuned into Solutions Watch, that regular weekly series where week in and week out, we look at the ways that you can improve your life and help change the world for the better. So this week I have some questions for you. Do you think the world is overpopulated? Do you think it's irresponsible to bring new life into this world given the strain on our environmental systems? Do you, deep down, hate humanity? Hmm, I wonder where you got those opinions. Our Earth, healthy, strong, and full of life. But wait, what's that you've got there? It looks like you've got a case of the humans. To be a healthy Earth, all of your elements must be in equilibrium. However, these parasites slaughter all other forms of life. You can just keep banging away, making one useless, mediocre, not going to invent kid after another. <laughs> no, I don't understand people like that. So don't you realize after your third loser kid, you don't have the DNA to make somebody special? You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague. It's inescapable that having kids in the first place creates a resource-consuming person. It's not me trying to sound like no one should have kids, but it's kind of a fact. If I fell pregnant, I would have an abortion. Earth is just the start. Who knows what's next? What? Your opinions have been drilled into you by the messaging you receive on the idiot box? That's a load of rich, creamery butter. And dip it in rich, creamery butter. Dad, what if I told you you could lose weight without dieting or lifting a finger? I'd say you're a lying scumbag. Why, sweetie? According to Eternity Magazine, you can lose weight through subliminal learning. That's where an idea is subtly implanted in your head without you even knowing it. Oh, Lisa, that's a load of rich, creamery butter. Yes, I hate to break it to you, but yes, you have been programmed by the idiot box your entire life to hate humanity. And this is not some one-off or some little thing. This is a concerted, generations-long psyop that has been inflicted on humanity by an anti-human death cult that is operating in our midst. And the most remarkable thing is not just that that is possible, that people could actually be made to hate their own species by consistent propaganda to that effect, but that it would be so effective and so pervasive. And as an example of that, I would like to submit to you today 
a phenomenon that I have noted over the years, and uncharacteristically, although I've seen this a number of times, I never noted it down. I never noted the specific instances of it when I saw it, which would be very handy for this presentation today. But I have dug up a couple of examples of this phenomenon for you today. So here we are on the Mail Online, the Daily Mail. Ooh. And before I get the angry emails from all the Brits out there, that's a horrible rag in the one. Yeah, I know. Trust me, I know. But there's a specific reason why I'm showing you the Daily Mail for this, um, which I'll get into in a moment. But first, let's look at a couple of examples pre-scandemic. For example, here is an article that was first posted on the 21st of March 2018 and intriguingly was updated on the 15th of February 2019. <coughs> and the headline is, Next flu pandemic could kill 886,000 people in the UK and infect 43 million, reveal scientists as they warn an outbreak is imminent. And... Yada, yada, yada. I'm sure you know what this story is about and how it looks. And the next flu pandemic could kill 886,000 people in the UK and infect nearly three quarters of the population. Scientists have predicted yada, yada, yada. Fear, fear, fear. fear. It's coming to get you. All right. So now that we're all living in mortal fear of the flu, let's take a look down at the comment section and see what people have been psyoped into responding to articles like this. Uh, for example, we have NW282. We need to reduce the population level in this country anyway. Might as well let nature take its course. If your time is up, it's up. Well, thus saith NW282 from your lips to God's ears, right? Uh, well, there are too many people on the planet. And I think the Daily Mail's arithmetic is wrong, or they're unaware that the population of the planet is already 7 billion. Realistically, we need to cull about 2 billion billion anyway, especially if we want to halt climate change and stop other species being wiped out. If we can cull badgers and deer, we can cull humans. A flu epidemic would help, but not enough in my book. Oh, this planet needs a good clean out. Or as another example, let's take a look at this article posted on the 5th of March 2018, updated 6th of March 2018, why I believe a killer flu pandemic is lurking just around the corner and it could kill 33 million people in the first 200 days. 33, huh, interesting. What, a, what an interestingly specific prediction. Anyway, Dr. Jonathan Quick is chair of the Global Health Council, so you better listen to what he says and take it very seriously. As a medical doctor and a health chief who has led global programs at the World Health Organization is exactly the part of the sentence at which you should stop reading. <laughs> but if you do go on, of course, it's fear, 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 it's coming to get you, here's what it looks like, and you'll notice they even use the exact same stock pictures here <laughs> as they did in that other article. But let's let's take a look. Anyone programmed to hate their own species here? Amy Louise, as horrible as it sounds, this is basically what our planet needs right now as we are so overpopulated. On a personal level, every death is a horrible tragedy. But on a survival of the species level, sometimes awful things like this are necessary. Quick, people better have five more kids as if it ain't five ain't enough already. This poor planet, best news I've read all day. God only knows how we need a reboot. We're already as good as destroyed. We've already as good as destroyed our beautiful oceans. What's what next? The galaxy? The universe? Yes, Jay, don't worry. Don't worry. That killer flu is just around the corner. And what do you want to bet? I mean, I don't know. But I'm just going to go and wager that the very people leaving these comments 
These people in particular, I'm going to bet, are the ones who are raging the most now at those damn anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers, you're killing grandma, you're putting us all in danger. Those are the people who are most likely 100% on board with what is going on right now in terms of trying to restrict the population to institute the biosecurity state, because these are the people who are most susceptible to what they hear in the media. They have been programmed to believe, we're overpopulated, humans are a cancer, I hate the species anyway, we need to cull the human population. They have been programmed by the death cult, so they will listen to anything that the death cult and the Dr. Jonathan Quicks of the world, or is that Dr. Quack of the world, have to say, including wear three masks and get seven jabs and you might be okay until we tell you to do more next week. Now, in fairness, there are people here who I think had a much um, much more accurate view of what this type of article is really about. For example, primalist outbreak is imminent, probably because they don't trust the security in their labs, so have to cover their asses. A man-made pandemic designed to scare people and flog vaccines that don't work. Or uh, uh, nature has nothing to do with it, tinkering with viruses in the lab, and oops, it got out. Here, buy our expensive vaccine that doesn't work, but we'll be rich and you'll be dead. <laughs> so... At least some people had, uh, I think, a more accurate view of the assessment here. But I, I say I, 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 I'm including the Daily Mail comments here in particular because an interesting thing happens when you go and try to look up these types of articles. And it's interesting to do so. There, are, there were a flood of articles in 2017, 2018, 2019 along these lines. Not just the flu, but various diseases. Even a disease X is coming to kill you, scientists warn, was being pumped everywhere in the media at that time. Um, and so you can do a search. For example, I don't obviously uh, recommend Google, but they do have the handy date range search where you can set the date range. So you could look, for example, warns pandemics could warns pandemic could, i.e. Uh, WHO warns the pandemic could kill 20 million or whatever. Um, look for that search term, set the, uh, the date criteria to uh, 2017 to 2019, and you can see all the pre-scandemic hype that was coming up in that period, a lot of which Bill Gates, Bill Gates warns, Bill Gates warns. Uh, the biggest pandemic risk viral misinformation, interesting. Um, Spanish flu pandemic could return. Fauci, Trump will face surprise infectious disease outbreak on January 11, 2017. Anyway, I, so I was digging up these types of articles to look for those types of comments. We need to cull the human population. But the interesting thing is that it's something that I've noted, but I don't make conscious note of. Outlet after outlet after outlet, Business Insider, Forbes, Time, um, Nature, of course, uh, thejournal.ie, all of these mainstream publications, they've all removed their comment sections in recent years. Have you noted that? It's, it's really remarkable to think of because 10 years ago, every site wanted to have the comment section, leave your comment. Hey, it's, it's like letters to the editor, but now, you know, here it is. And they all started removing those comment sections about five, six years ago. Do you remember that? I certainly do. And it's good for moments like this, where I'm looking for comments on these types of articles and realizing, oh yeah, that's right. They don't have comments on these articles. <laughs> I wonder why all these mainstream publications removed the comments from their articles, probably to make sure that people with wrong think like Primalist here don't get their voice out there in the mix. No, no. Heavens to Murgatroyd. Anyway, so there you go. There is 
what we are looking at here is the problem of a population that is being trained to hate themselves. And to be fair, a lot of those comments are downvoted and uh, people are arguing against them, but there are enough people out there who have been psyoped into the death cult who genuinely hate their own species enough to desire a large-scale culling that it makes the job of people who would seek to control the population in every sense of that term, it makes their job a little bit easier, doesn't it? So if you need the context for what we're discussing today, if you've just stumbled across this video somehow, I will put in the links in the show notes, the links to my previous work on this subject from the past few days. Firstly, I posted a questions for Corbett on are there limits to growth, where we debunked the trust the science on the Club of Rome's ridiculous limits to growth report and the ridiculous computer model that they used to generate that report and uh, offered some alternatives um, to that type of doom, doom saying and fear mongering. And then last weekend, uh, just the other day, in the subscriber newsletter, I had a report on absolute zero, the globalist agenda revealed, talking about a report that was released just pre-pandemic, pre-scamdemic, um, by a group called UK Fires that was talking about the what the long-term plan uh, and agenda really is, which, of course, is to bring humanity down to absolute zero, not zero population, but, of course, a controlled, completely controlled, managed, technocratic society where humans, uh, the regular common folk, like you, me, and everybody listening to my voice right now, are human cattle to be rounded up and directed and controlled in every aspect of our daily lives. That is the vision that they are parading to us in the name of saving the earth. It's for Mother Nature, guys. So if you need the context for this and the debunking of the absolutely ridiculous big pharma vaccine science um, that is behind this scam, please turn to those previous reports. But today is Solutions Watch. Today we're not dwelling on the problem of the death cult and what it is trying to engineer into the human population. We are looking at ways that we can counteract that death cult and what it is seeking to do to us or to convince us to do to ourselves. So let's focus on solutions. And if the problem is this anti-human, anti-life drive that these cultists are, are using to train us into hating our own species and reject the idea of procreating, then what could be a solution to that? What is a possible solution to that type of mentality? Well, I, I think there are a couple of different approaches that we can use today to come to an understanding of what the solution to this might be. And one of those is the analytical approach. Now I'd like to show you a figure. That figure shows from 8,000 B.C. until now. What do you think that figure shows? What's your guess? Most people are going to say, the population of the world, right? You've seen figures like that a hundred times. In fact, that does not show the population of the world. That shows the life expectancy of human beings. For thousands and thousands of years, Life expectancy of people at birth maybe went up from the low 20s to maybe the high 20s. And then all of a sudden, about 200 years ago, life expectancy took off from under 30 all the way up to the 70s. And in places like China, less developed countries, it took off after World War II to where it's way, way, way up by now. 
Now the point of showing you this figure is that the shape of such figures is used to scare people. And in fact, a scary figure like that got me interested in the whole problem, so-called problem of population growth in the 1960s, and I enlisted in the Great War to make there be fewer human beings on the basis of a scary figure like that. But the fact that we're showing you obviously a benign effect, a happy thing, people living longer, should convince you that the mere shape of a curve going up like that means nothing bad whatsoever. In fact, it's the most important and most amazing fact of our lives is the decrease in the world's death rate. We have effectively won a victory over death. It took us thousands of years to get the death rate just up from you know, the low 20s to high 20s. And now we have this extraordinary success. And it's this decrease in the death rate that's the cause of the world population having grown so much. Put it this way, in 150 years ago, in the 19th century, this planet of ours could only support about one billion people. 10,000 years ago, our planet could only support about four million people. And now we have five and a half billion people living longer and more healthily than ever before in history. Again, this represents our victory over death. But here we come to a crucial interpretation. I would expect lovers of humanity to be jumping up and down saying, isn't this a wonderful thing? And what do we get instead? We get people who are lamenting and they're wringing their hands and they're saying, what a terrible thing. We've got five and a half billion people. And they even regret the decrease in the death rate. They even say, well, you know, well, yes, it's all very good. We got the death rate down and so on. But look at the problems it brought us. <laughs> and, and it's this worry that leads these people to approve the Chinese and Indonesian and other programs of coercion and of denial of personal liberty in one of the most precious choices that a family can make, the number of children that it wants to bring into the world. So here we have this extraordinary difference in interpretation. I see nothing but a happy, wonderful fact in this. We've beaten death. Not completely, but beaten it back. And instead, it is only the cause of lament. Now that, as I know you will know if you have watched Are There Limits to Growth, the recent edition of Questions for Cor Corbett, was Julian Simon, the economist who wrote, amongst other things, The Ultimate Resource and The Ultimate Resource 2, uh, arguing against the doomsaying and fear-mongering of the Club of Rome and their ilk, the ilk of the anti-human eugenicists who hate humanity, the teeming masses of humanity. Of course, they love their own families, but what's a little hypocrisy um, amongst eugenicists? So uh, I would, of course, invite you to look at that full presentation. I will, as always, include the link in the show notes if you're interested in it. I think it's interesting to note the context of that presentation where Julian Simon was invited to speak on that subject as, uh, as sort of a counter to the Earth Summit that was just then getting underway in Rio de Janeiro in 1992, which you will remember was, of course, the Earth Summit that was stewarded over under the auspices of the UN by Morris Strong, the person that, that wonderful leader of the UN Environment Program who 
made his millions in the oil patch funded by the Rockefellers. What? What's that story about? If you really don't know that story, I would wholeheartedly invite you to go check out Why Big Oil Conquered the World specifically, or how and why Big Oil Conquered the World for the full context of that. But that's that's a story in and of itself that I think speaks to the interesting nature of these uh, wealthy elitists who presume to lecture the masses of humanity. That, oh, you shouldn't be having children. You shouldn't be taking international flights. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. Well, of course, they are stewarding the resources for themselves and their families. Um, now, there's a lot to be said about that presentation and the points that Julian Simon is bringing up there, one of which might be something that I keep going back to during this time of generated crisis that we're living through. Same facts, Opposite conclusions. I pointed it out in a Propaganda Watch last year, and I keep coming back to it because it's so important to understand that you can have the exact same set of data, and you can have exact opposite interpretations of that. And so you have, as Julian Simon points out, here's this graph and this incredible hockey stick, uh, as it were. What's that hockey stick? Is it global temperature? No, it's life expectancy. It's taken however many countless generations for the life expectancy to go up a few years. And then suddenly we have this incredible rise in life expectancy that leads to a boom in population. And as he points out, where are the lovers of humanity jumping up and down cheering, yay, all we ever get presented with, the only allowable opinion in the controlled media that we know lies to us all the time about everything of importance is, oh, what a horrible, horrible thing. We need to get rid of a few billion people. We need a good cull of the population. A nice pandemic might do as a start. Oh, hey, look at this. Anyway, so there, there is that aspect of it, for example, um, that we could um, parse and other things that we could delve into about those numbers and what they tell us. But in doing so, we run the risk of taking a, a solely analytical approach to the problem, which actually starts to frame the problem in a way that plays in, I think, to the hands of the would-be controllers of humanity. That is, to start thinking of these broad topics, not in terms of individual people making individual choices about their own family and what they want for their lives. No, no, now it's this abstract economic man who's a data point in these line graphs and, you know, how many people should be being born every year or some abstract thing like that, which leads us into a false paradigm where, are, are, so now are we trying to set some sort of world population? Well, it should be this many or people should be having more children or whatever it is. Are we the ones to determine that for people? Of course not. Unfortunately, if we only concentrate on the data itself and analytical arguments, we miss that broader point. And let me be fair, in case anyone thinks that that's what Julian Simon does, he certainly does not, if and when you actually read Julian Simon. <laughs> and I parenthetically note, with some amusement, the people who uh, responded to last week's questions for Corbett by gloating and being absolutely uh, proud of their ignorance of Julian Simon and that they haven't read him and they're not going to read him, but then <laughs> presuming to lecture what he didn't did or didn't talk about. <laughs> he didn't talk about energy. <laughs> Actually, he called energy the master resource. He has entire chapters about it in the ultimate resource. Uh, there's uh, there's an entire free, free market energy blog called Master resource.org that is inspired by Julian Simon in his work. But you're right. Julian Simon never said anything about energy. Uh, anyway, people's willful ignorance is 
kind of humorous at times. But uh, again, because there will be people out there who only get these clips and will not look at the broader material, let me stress, every single time that Julian Simon presents this sort of information, he is always adamant that he only cares about freedom, the freedom of people to decide for themselves, unfettered and unhindered by outside bodies and governments and UN agencies or whatever else to come in and forcibly limit their family size or force force them to have children if that, such a thing is possible. Uh, no, it's about freedom, the freedom to choose. And that was the base of what he was arguing. And also pointing out data suggesting, well, actually, it's not a terrible thing if you have children. <gasps> what a horrible heretic. So anyway, it is about the freedom, the freedom to do this. And that could get lost if we only look at the, the data and the, and the numbers as if this is some sort of analytical exercise. It is not. It is about the human experience. So then, perhaps the best way to approach the solution that we are presenting today is to look at it from the human perspective, not as economic man, not as data, not as numbers, not as points on some sort of spreadsheet or something. No, as people, as human beings, as individuals making choices about their lives and whether or not they do want to bring a new life into this world. Now, that, of course, especially in a time of generated crisis like the one that we are living through, can be an incredibly daunting thing. And it's not just the sort of general um, propaganda that we've been steeped in our whole lives to hate the human species and to look at children as if they're a burden or a curse on this planet. Uh, although that obviously plays a part in it, but specifically in this time right now when people are worrying uh, about the future and what that looks like for children, of course, that is something that prospective parents right now, people who want to have children, but are wondering if this is a, should should we do that in in these circumstances and why and oh what what's it going to look like in the future obviously those are the types of human considerations that we have to think about when we are thinking about countering the death cult and potentially bringing new life into the world and i very much understand and can sympathize with people who are having who are prospective parents thinking about having children but are worried about the way, where things are going and what might happen in the future. So I decided to get the human perspective on this issue from some people that I know in the independent media who might be familiar faces to you. Of course, I'll link up all of their individual websites and other details in case you do not know them and are interested in finding out more. But I did ask a number of my colleagues here in the independent media about this question, about bringing a new life into the world. And these are all people who are, like myself, parents of young children who have made that decision to bring new life into the world. And so the question is, do you regret that? And if not, why not? Why should people who are genuinely interested in having children, should they do so? And what should or should they not be worried about in doing so? I would say don't hesitate to have kids. Do it. No time in history was safe enough or to, you know, the, the, the perfect time to have a baby. There's always challenges. If you want to have a kid, have a kid. You know, they are the future. Every time I look at my boy, I think there's hope. He's here at the right time. He's not an accident. We did this. It's intentional. He's meant to be here. And all the other babies being born right now are meant to be here. And we have to nurture that and not give up. To me, not having a baby or choosing rather not to have a child is like throwing up the white flag. And I think that's exactly what they want. So don't be afraid. Just do it. 
if you're not if you're in a city situation, maybe you think that's a little too threatening. Get out of the city, but have the kid. Not to say that everybody needs to be have a family to be uh, to be legitimate or something. But if you want to have a kid and you're thinking about it, just do it. Do it. You won't regret it. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I would say I totally understand um, that you would have qualms about it, that you would be questioning that, especially in the, the time that we're in right now. Um, but that's their goal. They want you to worry about having kids and think that it's too bad to bring kids into the world and to try to get people, you know, they funding, you know, Planned Parenthood and all these contraceptives, not randomly. That's the, that's their end game is they want more control over the people. And, you know, the great thing that I myself believe that God gave us is an ability to have children and it's a gift. And they're trying to capture that in any way they can. And with my generation, a lot of it was just like, you're going to have a baby late you know you just oh you put it off as long as possible because then your life is over and i did that and then i had a baby and and we had a couple babies and it's like no my life isn't over at all it's actually more enriching it's certain certainly busy but it's very very enriching um and so now it, it seems like this younger generation they're going after them in so many ways uh with the gender stuff and and uh just all the different methods of you know, there's a lot of miscarriages and things happening, but if you can have kids, I think they, you probably should. And, uh, you know, there's a, <clears throat> an overpopulation myth, which I think you've touched on a couple times. Uh, it's not, it's actually not the case. If you like look at it, the birth rate is declining right now and the technology like keeps it so that we can actually feed everybody. Um, and as a kid, you know, I thought <clears throat> the real rebellion is to to do drugs and live fast and die young. And the older I get, the more I realize that the real rebellion is to marry one person and to raise children that are good children and not to make excuses for yourself or the your family or people around you because you want to do something different, but to just uh, man up or woman up, for lack of a better term, and take care of your, like have children and take care of them. And then that one thing, if you really stop and look at it, everything that you're learning about uh, from you know the corporate report and all these different podcasts, all of it is a coordinated attack on the family unit because it's the only thing that government can't get involved in. And it is by definition, very obviously the only thing more powerful than the government is the family unit. And it's, it stands above the government. Once the family unit gets torn down and there's somebody missing from the home and then there's money coming from the government, that's what they want. But when you actually have a family unit, that is more powerful than the government. And raising raising good kids is the best rebellion. Well, um, I may have a different answer than most since I uh, am pregnant <laughs> uh, with my second child in the middle of this uh, craziness. Um, which has definitely been interesting uh, to see. But if you look at the people, you know, behind this agenda, which is something, um, you know, I happen to do for a living, really, uh, you notice that these are uh, often more often than not uh, eugenicists and um, people who essentially worship death, whether they're war criminals or, you know, some other type of variety. Uh, these are people that view uh, life or 
the life force, as it were, nature as the enemy, as something to dominate uh, and control, um, I would argue the best way to fight against uh, that and that ideology and that end game uh, is to uh, create life, whether that's bringing a new being into the world or some sort of creative effort. You know, it's definitely a way to uh, interject a different, um, I guess, energy uh, into the situation because they want people uh, afraid and easily controlled and not doing those things, not being creative, not embodying life um, as it were. So, you know, there's different ways people uh, can do that. Uh, obviously, in my situation, it ended up being having, <laughs> you know, another kid. I can understand people not wanting to have kids right now because obviously economic constraints, you know, can make it difficult. But if you're able, you know, maybe it, it can be political activism in, in a sense. Not only are you bringing uh, life in, into a, the world at a time when, you know, people are actively trying to reduce the global population uh, significantly, but, you know, that child, you can, uh, you know, teach them to think critically, to uh, view the world in a way fundamentally opposed to what these people uh, want them to think um, and help them, you know, create and bring about uh, the type of world that regular uh, sane people uh, would like to see, as opposed to, um, you know, the, the oligarchs who are essentially the most unconscious uh, people in the world, which is ironic considering that they're trying to create uh, machine and artificial intelligence when they don't understand, you know, consciousness um, or really life uh, very much at all and view it as as an enemy um, for all intents and purposes. So, you know, there's different ways for everyone. Uh, but, you know, the more you can um, embody uh, and, uh, I guess, create life um, however, that is, you know, is, is definitely a way to, uh, at least on an energetic level, emotional, mental level, um, or in my case, you know, physical, if you're actually having a kid, um, a way to resist uh, these, uh, the elite and, and these uh, different agendas they're advancing. It's an interesting question. Well, you know, then you certainly have the climate change activists and the depopulationists who say, oh, you're so selfish for, you know, I, I think who, some organization gave uh, whatever the English prince and, or no, it was Meghan Markle or what, one of those like English royalty people that have two kids, they were given an award for only having two kids and doing your part to not increase, you know, global warming. Like, it's just ridiculous. Anyways, um, so I've actually been asked that a few times before. Um, and so I have kind of a canned response only that it's, it's what I've shared before. And that is, I feel like a study of history um, informs us, which calms our fears. And what I mean by that is there have been alarming developments, you know, doom and gloom for decades, for centuries. Uh, there's always going to be something else. And if we have an anxiety right now about the world that we're in, uh, about the future of liberty or whatever, you know, we can look at the past and say, well, look, there's always been something. Humanity moves forward. There's pros and cons or ebbs and flows. Um, and I feel like the more we understand the past, the more um, confident we can be about the present and the future. And so uh, there's always room for doom and gloom. But I, I, I'm actually an optimist. I mean, despite all these challenges that we have, I think, I mean, look at like COVID and all the in my view, horrific response by the government. And yet the silver lining was it pushed a bunch of people off the fence. Homeschooling in the United States has tripled. Uh, alternative education is on the rise. There's been a 10% uh, 
polling increase in terms of support for school choice for families who support vouchers, education savings accounts, basically fighting the public school monopoly. I mean, there's so many silver linings that for all the challenges we have, there's so many opportunities. So, um, so yeah, my response is just, look, it, it's always been that way. And so if we're anxious about the future, we need to read more about the past and understand that we've been here, we've been there before, and it'll give us more confidence about making those decisions about our future. I hope you appreciate those various insights and words of wisdom from parents in the crowd whose faces are probably going to be familiar to a lot of you out there. But if not, of course, as I say, I will put the links into their various websites in the show notes so you can go explore them. But that uh, is the human side of this equation, which I think is the operative side when we are talking about human life and bringing a human life into the world. And of course, I too have something to say on that. So in the interest of uh, not being the uh, third person looking down from the clouds on all of this, let me share my own insights into this. Uh, when I look back on my life and I tally up my great accomplishments, there are many things that I suppose I could point to, if I were so inclined, as accomplishments to be proud of. I mean, after all, I did get my BA with first-class honors from the University of Calgary. And then I got my MPhil from Trinity College, Dublin. I moved halfway around the world to a completely new country that I'd never seen before in a new language that I didn't know without knowing anyone here in advance. And I not only was able to survive, but I thrived here, set down roots, built a home here. I started a website that was just my meager little contribution to an alternative media movement that was flowering online. And here we are nearly 15 years later, having reached literally millions of people around the world um, with what I like to think is important information. I don't take myself seriously, but I take the work that I do very seriously, and I think I have accomplished quite a bit in that regard. But still, looking at all of those achievements that I have accomplished in my life, there is nothing that has been more important to me as a person, as an individual human being, or that I hope to be proud of one day when all is said and done, it's obviously working progress, but I am referring, of course, to having children, being a father, bringing new life into this world, and helping, hoping to steer those new lives in the right direction. I'm referring, of course, to my boy and my girl, who I love more than can possibly be expressed in words, but I did try to do so, as you might recall, on... Uh, an episode of the podcast on the meaning of life that I gave shortly after the birth of my son. And uh, for someone who has never had that experience of holding their child in their arms for the first time, there's really no way to put that into words. And for those who have experienced it, I think you know what I'm talking about. But this is why I do what I do. It is for the future of humanity as a whole, and of course, the only way that I can relate to that in the flesh and blood is through my own flesh and blood, the future of, of myself uh, manifested in my son. And it shames me to my core, the world that he is growing up in and the world that I'm handing over to him. And that is what drives and motivates me to try to make this a better place and to try to hopefully um, leave something of, uh, of the human human spirit uh, left on this planet so that there is something worth fighting for when he uh, assumes his adult stage of life. 
Now, this is something that, again, is probably too big to really articulate here, and it's almost impossible to put it into words, but... Well, I've tried to do something of the sort, and for those of you watching the video, you can see my cute little notebook that I bought on the day that my son was born, a journal that I'm keeping of just my thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams, and ambitions for my son as we go through the first weeks of his life and first months of his life uh, together. And this is something that um, obviously is personal, and I'll be sharing with him uh, directly when he comes of age. I'll I'll give him this uh, this journal so that he uh, understands what it was that I went through as a uh, as a parent attempting to raise a child. But um, but I did share a little bit of this. I did share one of these entries with the uh, the subscribers to to my newsletter in last week's uh, subscriber only newsletter. And so today I would like to share that with all of you out there, um, just to give you an insight into what's going through my heart and my head in this uh, in this time right now as as I'm experiencing the, uh, the the threshold of a completely new stage in my life and I want to share that with you guys out there because I think this is important to what it is that I'm doing and why it is that I'm doing it so well, allow me to read a little bit from this journal that I'm keeping here dear son never in my life have I spent so much time watching the wind rustle the leaves in the trees but this is precisely what I find myself doing every day now since I discovered that you love falling asleep in my arms, cradled in my tented-up legs as I sit on the futon on the tatami floor. I don't dare move a muscle while you doze off for fear of starting, starting, startling you or sending you into a crying fit. So there I sit, utterly motionless, holding you in my arms, with nothing in the world to do but wait while you become relaxed, your eyes drooping shut, your breaths becoming slower and shallower, then into light sleep, your eyes darting back and forth beneath your closed lids, and finally deep sleep, so I can put you down in your bed. I feel like I should be the one teaching you things about the world. I am your dad, after all. But so far, you've been the one teaching me. How to comfort a crying baby. How to change your diapers. How to bathe you. How to track your feeding times and your bowel movements in a journal while your mother nurses you. How to hold you until you drift off to sleep. How to appreciate the exquisite, subtle beauty of a gentle spring wind whispering through the leaves of the neighbor's tree. For once in my life, just appreciating the peace and quiet without a podcast to listen to or a website to browse or any of the other million and one distractions in my, that, of our modern world, taking me out of the stillness of that moment. Do you know I have never in my life truly just taken the time to appreciate a moment like that? Thank you, son, for giving me that opportunity. I've learned other things as well, surprising things. I always thought that flesh and blood was just an expression, but it's true. We are of one flesh, and the bond I feel is stronger and more real than I could ever have imagined. When you are fed, changed, and happy, I feel your contentment. When you cry out in hunger, I sense that hunger in my own stomach. When your mother nurses you, I pour myself some water after pouring a glass for her, our thirst becoming one. That look of total relaxation on your face when we slip into your when you slip into your when we slip you into your warm bath has infected me. I find myself taking the time to appreciate the warmth of a morning shower that I barely even noticed before. Oh, there are things that I'll be able to teach you. Little things. How to tie your shoes, how to catch a baseball, how to add and subtract, multiply and divide. 
big things too, of course. The big truths about finance and politics, the predators that are attempting to prey on society and what we can do about it. Yes, of course there will be time for all of that. But for now I find that I am the student, learning by experience perhaps the most valuable lesson of all. How to raise a child. I suppose if I had anything to teach you now, here, writing these words that you are still years away from even being able to read, it would simply be this. There are things in this life that simply cannot be taught. They can only be experienced. Having a child is one of those things. No matter how much I write or how eloquently, no mere words can express that love I feel when I gaze into your eyes. That is something you will simply have to experience for yourself, son, and I hope one day you will. For now, I'm happy to spend another few minutes holding you in my arms, watching the wind in the trees. Not rushing around, not worrying about the next thing I have to get done, not distracting myself with the cares of the world. Everyone who has ever had a child tells me that the years pass by so fast. I'm going to enjoy every second on that clock I can before it ticks by. I love you, son. In the end, I think the message for today is a relatively simple one. Uh, that is simply to counteract the hatred of humanity and the death cult that has emerged around hating the idea of bringing new life into this world. The simplest thing we can do is to bring new life into this world, or as Whitney Webb rightly pointed out there, to at least engage in the creative act, not necessarily creating a new human being, but creating something and leaving this world richer than it was before you were here to create that thing. The creative act, creation, the beauty of bringing something new into the world is the beauty, the precise beauty, that the eugenicist anti-human hate cult, the death cult, cannot understand. The beauty of life is something that the death cult rages against. So I submit to you that one solution to that death cult is to defy their uh, idea and to bring something new into this world. And as I say, I am not here telling people what they should or should not be doing in their personal lives. You know that. That is the proviso on every edition of Solutions Watch, and especially this one. The decision to bring a new human life into the world is not a light one. It should not be taken lightly, and you should not be basing that decision on something you hear on a podcast. But if you are inclined toward bringing new life into this world, and you are uh, simply holding back because of doubts and fears that have been programmed into you by the would-be controllers of humanity who are seeking to, uh, to limit and stifle life, then perhaps you can take this into consideration when you are making your decision. And it is your decision. And no one, no outside authority, can step in and limit you and limit your procreative or creative abilities. Every time one of the good guys brings a new life into this world, it is a dagger in the heart of the new world order. James Corbett, CorbettReport.com.